Thank you. Good evening. Thank you for coming tonight. It's been a beautiful day. It is great to be out with there's still sunshine. I know this morning may have been difficult to get up early, but tonight we sort of see the fruit of that by being able to see the sun. And I'm thankful that you have chosen to be here tonight and we have this great opportunity to come together and worship. Uh, I want to let you know about something that is uh, coming up on um, the 31st, if my slides will come up. Tim, you messing with me again? Okay, just checking. On, uh, on March 31st, there we go, on March 31st, that's going to be a fifth Sunday, and we're going to have a very special fifth Sunday. We always have a singing night, and that's a really neat night, but that'll be the last week before the 109 starts meeting on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and they won't be worshiping with us anymore. So that night, we're going to have a special devotional service here. They, I think, are going to have an abbreviated service at five for some of the people there, but the plan is for them to come here and us to worship together. That night will be a night spent with singing and praying, about talking about being sent and the work that we want to do. I think it's going to be an incredible night. I hope that you will be here. I hope that you will choose to be here as we are able to come together and worship together and pray together and celebrate together at the beginning of this great work. And I'm thankful for you and thankful you're here tonight. So if you will, let us go to God in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful. You are amazing, and we look to you for us, for our guidance, for our love, for our worthiness, it all comes from you. Lord, we pray that tonight we will focus on you and we will see you as we look through this. And Lord, we're thankful that you are our shepherd and that you care for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we uh, start thinking tonight together, when you hear the word deer, what is it that comes to mind? For some people, it's this. Uh, some people think tractor, John Deere. Some people, there's inter- usually international pay- people, and there's John Deere people. And you think of that. For some people, the thought of a deer is this. For other ones of us, the thought of a deer is this. Okay? That's what we're looking for. That is the things that dreams are made of right here. And it is something that we look at, and it, it just brings excitement to us. Some of us just counted down the days to September when we can get our bows out. We're like, wow. It is something we think about, and what we realize is that uh, for whatever reason, God saw that it would be good for male deer to have antlers. Now, I know there's different kinds of hunters. There's hunters who, who, who hunt for food. There's some hunt for trophies, some hunt for both. I know you can't eat antlers. I understand that. I've been told that, but they sure are pretty to look at. Have you ever been wondered why God gave deer antlers? And, and it's here, right here. Some of it's for defense. They can defend themselves for it. They can use the, those antlers to keep things away from them. They can defend themselves. Also, it's display. They're able to show uh, who's the most mature, who, who's the oldest, who's the biggest. And also, they can duel with them. They can fight. I don't know if you've ever seen that or, or heard that, but can I tell you, when they start to fight, it sounds like that you have two bulldozers loose in the woods. You don't see it all the time, but sometimes you hear it. It's amazing. We talk about being quiet, going to the woods. If you've ever heard this, you're like, I'm not sure why. Because it is amazing. They will go at it back and forth, and it is amazing how strong they are. There's a, a, video, a viral video out now with a white-tailed deer and a bighorn sheep. The white-tailed deer won. 
It's pretty amazing. And you see that, what they're able to do. And when they fight, they will tear up the ground, all these things. And can I tell you, it only happens for about one month a year. You know what it's about? Women. <laughs> they establish dominance about once a year. They don't fight all the time. But they do this. And the thing is, sometimes when they fight, bad things happen. What happens is you'll see these deer, they'll, they'll get locked up together and can't get themselves apart. When they can't get apart, they can't eat. It is something that at times you see here, here's three who locked up like this. And before you're saying, some of the ladies here are like, yep, see, men like to fight. Guess what women do too, okay? <laughs> they stand up on their hind legs and they will whip each other. And, and so that is something that happens. And can I tell you that conflict seems to be a part of every living beings life it is something we see in conflict is something that comes from uh, there's opposition there seems to be a, a criticism there seems to be attacks no matter where we are it is something that we definitely see and what do we do when we face conflict how should we behave when we are challenged when we are criticized when we face different conflict how is it we should act i'll tell you what we should do we should listen to god Tonight's a very challenging lesson, but I think most lessons are challenging when I, when I say, I want to do what I feel like I want to do versus what God tells me to do. And what we want to do is we continue on Sunday nights thinking about our shepherd. What we want to do is think about him, and I want us to read together the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you see it? Did you see anything in there about enemies? That the Lord prepares a table before you? And there's something incredible in that. So what we've been going through on Sunday nights is, is going to the Lord and seeking out the things that, we, uh, that he gives us. We have talked about worry through this and, and, and talked about the, if the Lord is my shepherd, he is all I need. He takes care of what we need. We've talked about hurry. We've talked about the things that, what happens? We need to lie down in those green pastures. He makes me lie down. We've talked about uh, what it means to be crowded in. We've talked about what it means to, to make decisions and follow him. And the last lesson we had, we talked about what it means to be in the valley of the shadow of death. Tonight, let's talk about what it's like to be in conflict and what it's like to be in battle. See, it seems to be natural in this world that there's going to be criticism, there's going to be attacks, there's going to be slander, and there's going to be oppositions. And I wonder many times, why is there so much conflict? And James answers that in James chapter 4. In James 4, we are told, he says, what causes quarrels among you? Where do they come from? Is it not your own passions that are at war within you? You desire, you do not have. You murder, you covet, you can't obtain. 
So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He says conflicts come from within us. Our conflicts with other people start within us, and I think things are a little different now. I think times have changed. It used to be that you only had conflict with people you're around. Now you don't have to be around people because of what? Computers and phones and everything else. As we have shrunk the world, there are some things that are different. One, the world is more diverse now than it ever has been. We live in a time of pluralism. I'm going to guess at one time there were people who did not know uh, people who were atheists. If you lived in the South, in this Bible Belt, I'm going to guess there was a time where, where people didn't know someone who didn't believe in God or at least didn't claim to believe in God. There was a time where, where people did not know someone who uh, may be homosexual. There may be a time that, that you didn't know anybody, didn't share the same beliefs that you did. Remember the little town I grew up in in West Tennessee, pretty much everybody went to a church somewhere. If you said you believe in God, pretty much now there was a lot of differences in how we believed, but right now we probably live in a more diverse area than, than we have in a long time, probably since Romans chapter 1 times. That's probably as diverse as it is first century as, as we are there. And also because we are so connected in different ways, we see a lot more different viewpoints than we have seen before. Some of you, the poorest people in the world growing up were the people in your neighborhood or the people in your county. Now we know about things all over the world very quickly from when they happen, and we see things that we cannot imagine. If you follow the news, and some of you do, it's amazing that when you look again, when you think about the different things that are dealing with abortion right now, the different laws that are being passed. I'm thankful for the, the heartbeat law in Tennessee that was talked about this past week, that they will uh, recognize a, a, a human as alive when it has a heartbeat. We, we see that, but we realize if you go across the, the world, not even across the world, across the country, and maybe in the neighborhood you live, across the street, somebody doesn't believe the same as you do. And I think it, it, some of you uh, may listen to a 24-hour news cycle. And, and it never goes off. And what do you hear all the time? Conflict, division, conflict, division. It may be that, that you listen to some of the talk radio programs. And what is it? It is constant conflict and division that we see. See, there's some, uh, YouTube is a neat thing, has some great videos. Just don't read the comments, right? It's amazing how horrible people will treat each other when they don't have to see each other face to face. That probably started with the telephone, right? when you didn't know who was on the other end, when you would talk to them in, in a bad way. I, I laugh. I've got a good friend who's an elder in the church, and if he were to stand in one of our doorways, you couldn't see any sunlight around it. He's a large man. And he happened to be a vice president of the bank and also the one they put in charge of repossessions. He said, it's amazing how people talk to me on the phone when I tell them I need to then to make a payment, I'm going to come get their four-wheeler or truck or whatever else, and how different it is when they come in my office. He said, the same person that said bad things about my mama over the phone, when I stand up, when they come in, call me sir. It's amazing. Why? Because the more distance there is, it's amazing what we think we can say. 
Have you ever noticed the way people may text to one another? It, it can be very hateful. You see that there's conflict, and, and I love that if you live, uh, uh, you know, there's places now you can text and not freeze your hands off. You know, you've, you've got this. You see people sitting around, and the social media allows people to say things hateful to one another, and there's really no repercussions. I think one of the toughest jobs in the world is to be a moderator on a Facebook webpage. To go through and to have to, to, to deal with people who are saying things, to be able to cancel this. Because you can ask a simple question and you see people are willing to disagree and to fight. Listen, that is nothing new. And the thing is, we have to ask ourselves, how do we deal with conflict? The psalmist again said this, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. How many enemies do sheep have? A bunch. You know, sheep are a food source for a lot of different animals. You know, you don't hear, you know, it, it's one of those things, you don't hear a lot about sheep fighting, right? You know, we, we don't think, you know, people don't gather them up. You know, we might, people may fight roosters against each other. I haven't seen people line up with sheep. Why? Because they're not known for their aggressive nature. Now, some of them will butt you and different things, but they are... There's a lot of predators that take them out. And if they will only eat when they are calm and feel safe, imagine what it is for the shepherd to say, the shepherd psalm to say, hey, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And what's he going to do? He's going to eat. Why? Because God is there, because God is, is in the presence, and we see that. And I think that's something that's big. Remember, David wrote this. David spent his life in a lot of conflict, and the first conflict we see is with his, his brothers early, very much. His brothers were not a fans of his. And then he had conflict with, with uh, Goliath, and he, he won that. God won that through him. But then we see he's chosen to be the next king, and he has a great conflict with a man named Saul. If you will, open your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. It's amazing what the Bible says about Saul. Though the, the people wanted a king, so God gave them a king who looked like a king. It says he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was tall. He looked kingly. But when the Bible describes him, when he was supposed to go in and completely destroy an area he didn't and he's defending himself, and what God says to him through a prophet is, Saul, you are small in your own eyes. What's he saying? You're really insecure for somebody who's supposed to be ruling people. And if you were to realize your power comes from God, not you. Let's begin reading in verse 30. First Samuel 20, verse 30 says, Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of, of a perverse, rebellious woman, do you not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor the kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. What's just happened? Saul is accusing Jonathan of choosing David over his father. That's what he's doing, and he has chosen that. Why? Because he's choosing what is right. 
His dad is saying, you need, to, you need to let me kill him and let him be caught because I want you to be the next king. I want you to be the next king. And, and Jonathan doesn't believe that. Jonathan, uh, the next king has been decided by God, not by Saul. And it is going to be David. And Jonathan chooses David over him. What happens at this uh, dinner table? It says, but Jonathan answered Saul's father and says, why should, you, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him down, so Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Okay? That's like a will duh. After he got a spear chunked at him, he said, now he knows that his dad is not happy and wants him dead. Can you imagine how conflicting this supper table is? To be there, and, and a king picks up a, a, a spear and throws it in anger at his son. He said that Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat the food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. And what does David do? David ends up with his group of men. He goes and hides. He hides from Saul. What does he hope? I believe he hopes that Saul will calm down. That, Saul, that somehow Saul will, 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 will understand that this is God's will, that Saul will be a better man and that he will choose to do what is right, but he chooses to hide out away from him. Can you imagine your life on the run? That's where David is. Well, it happens at one time that David is hiding. Saul is out looking for him. Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself. Sorry, the Bible says that. And while he is in there, David has the opportunity to stop all this by taking Saul's life. It would have fixed it all. It would have been everything. It would have been completely done. But that's not what he does. It's not what he does at all. 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. It says, Then the men... Of David said to him, Here is the day to which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to this man, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. What, what honor. See, he could have taken his life, but he just did this, and that is a dishonorable thing to cut off his kingly robe. But I think he's wanting to show him, I, I could have done this. And, and he basically is asking for forgiveness for doing this. Verses 16 through 18. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And, and to David he said, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you from evil. What happened? David emerges from the cave and says, Saul, here, I could have done this. I did not. And Saul at this moment has, if you will, a, a change of heart. He says, And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me, when the Lord put me into your hands. What an amazing thought. Imagine the restraint. If this were a movie, we would say Saul is the villain and David is the hero, 
And if we were watching a movie, a fictional movie, we'd be yelling in the cave for David to do what? Kill him. End this. Take him out. Saul is being ridiculous. He, he is being horrible. He is being hateful. He may be the Lord's anointed, but he is not acting like it. We would want this to happen, but that is not how David responds. So how should we respond to conflict? One, we should learn like David to fully rely on God. When we are being attacked, we should fully rely on Him. I'm going to tell you, that's difficult. I don't know about you, I, I really like to defend myself. If somebody says something to me that is, that is hateful or whatever, I, I like to say something back. That's, that's natural. If somebody were to swing at me, I, I would want to swing back. That would be the, the natural way to do that. But it is not the godly way to act. He says what? You, he relied on God through all this. Look what Psalm 18 verses 1 through 3 says. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed uh, the words of the song of this day, this is what he says. He said this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He is what? He is my God. He's my refuge. He's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. He said, my strength is not in my ability. My strength is not that I, I, I can take a rock and a sling and kill a giant. My strength completely comes from God. How did Jesus act when people attacked him? You ever thought about what pe the people said about Jesus? I have a list of them here. He said, you're a friend of sinners. He said, you're a drunk and you're a glutton. They talked about his mama. They called him illegitimate. There's a verse there that says, we know who our Father is, aimed at Jesus. I don't know about you, where I grew up, that was something you punch somebody in the nose over. If they question your paternity. They said that about Jesus. They said he was insane. His family said that. He's out of his mind. They cursed him. They called him the devil. They called him a son of the devil. They called him a false god. They called him a rebel against Rome and a blasphemer. How did Jesus respond? 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Now, I have not said that tonight's lesson is easy, right? I think it's one of the most challenging things there is. To do what? To realize that he trusted in God when people were treating him poorly. And why? Because he was humble. He was obedient to his father. He chose to, to not follow what many of us would say would be defense mechanisms to do these things. He followed what God was saying. He fully relied on him. Look what happened in uh, Matthew 27, verse 11. It said, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Isn't it amazing that the governor was, was the, 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 the governor was amazed 
Not that he spoke with eloquence, but that he didn't defend himself. That he didn't go off into a tirade declaring who he was. He just said, this is who they say. I, I love this quote here. He said, if you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise or disgrace, because you know what you are. Let me say it this way. If our strength comes from God, and not only that, if our worth comes from God, if my worth comes from knowing that I'm a child of God, I am loved by him, then what people say can't take me too high and it can't take me too low because I realize my values from him. See, there's a, there's a promise in here, and there's a promise in Matthew 5, verse 11, uh, verse 13 in the Beatitudes. It said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all other kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How amazing. See, if we're persecuted for doing good, we remember that great promise. There is something for us. There is a great promise for us. And we continue to rely on God. How would our life change if we didn't attend every fight we were invited to? How would our life change if we didn't enter every argument that was out there? How much more time would we have for good to encourage others if we didn't get caught up in every bit of drama that somebody has started? I think our life would be incredibly better. And the thing is to realize that people are watching and how we respond when people treat us poorly affects our influence. And guess what? Your influence makes a huge difference. It's one thing to have authority over people. It's one thing to have power over people. It's another thing to have influence over people. You may never have authority, you may never have power, but each one of us in here can influence other people, and many times we show that in the way we handle when people treat us poorly. He says, bless. Why? Because your reward is great. Remember when people do this, there's a great reward. And he says, you are what? You are the salt of the what? Earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of man. What is it saying? You make an impact and have influence on those around you. It is no secret uh, of mine that, that if you ask me, my favorite preachers through time, my brother Marshall Keeble's name is going to come up a lot. I love reading about him. There's a lot of amazing things about him, and part of it is he, he preached during a time where racism was rampant in this country. He preached during a time of Jim Crow laws where at places it was illegal for, for black people and white people to even worship together to meet in the same building. And he went out day after day and did what? And taught people the gospel. He went out and preached the gospel all over the, the, the world and he's credited with baptizing somewhere around 40,000 people. It's just amazing. And part of it was he chose not to enter into fights. People said stuff about him. He went on his business. Go to stay at a hotel. We're not going to allow you to stay here. Let's get in the car and go to the next place. See, he didn't want to be a martyr for civil rights. Now, civil rights should have come along and done well. 
He wanted to be a martyr for the gospel. I read a story that he was preaching one time, and during the invitation, he would beg people to come forward. And at times, people would run down the aisles. He talked about, you could tell, he said, how, how important it was somebody. He said people would, would run down. At times, while he was preaching, people would respond. He's not even through with the, the sermon yet as they were convicted. And there was a, a young man, a white man, who came down the aisle, to, and he thought the young man was coming down to be baptized. And when he stood up to greet him, the man had brass knuckles and hit him right in the face and took off running. The witnesses there said that Brother Keeble gathered himself, looked up, and continued to, Ask people to come be saved. Didn't chase him down, didn't stop the invitation song, told him to keep on singing. Why? Because to him, there was a bigger difference to be made than the person that just hit him in the face. I read about later a, a meeting he did. There was a, a group of white men who were all in a Ku uh, Klux Klan who came and sat on the front row, and he preached the whole time. And when he offered the invitation, one of those men responded. You know what he did? That man was baptized. Can I promise you the world was watching how he handled conflict, and he taught us a lot. He taught us he relied on God, and his worth did not come based on the words and the horrible things that were said about him. His worth and value came from God. He had a quiet influence that changed the, the world for people. And part of it is while we are being mistreated at times, we have to remember we need to continue to do good. 1 Peter 4.19 says this, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Again, as we talked about Brother Keeble, he just kept preaching. He kept preaching and, and, and teaching people. Preaching and teaching over and over, no matter what was said. If one place wouldn't let him preach, he'd go to the next place and preach, but continued to do good, and what good did he do? An amazing amount of good. The psalmist says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Tonight, I don't know what conflict that you may be having or you may be in, but tonight, would you trust God with it? Would you trust God with it and not feel like you have to answer back and you have to, to fight back and forth? So many times we, we, we like to have the last word, and we can't bear for that not to be the case. What if we allow God to have the last word? What if we allowed Him to have the last word? And, and maybe through us following Him, we could make a difference in someone's life. I'm thankful for a God who is with us through our trials and through our persecution. And he is with us, and if we put our hope and our trust and we fully rely on him, how much different our life will be. Tonight, can you put your trust in him? Tonight, do you need to be baptized for mission of your sins to, to make him your shepherd? That would be an awesome thing to happen tonight. Or maybe tonight you'd like us to, to pray for you, maybe struggling with conflict and say, hey, I've been in the wrong, and, and, and I'd like for you to pray with me, or I just need to bow out of this, and I'd love for you to pray with me about this, that God will be my strength. We would love to do that. If we could help you with this, would you come now while we